0: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontanel Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Tons to talk about today. Limit up on the grain side of the trade. How did that affect the livestock side of the trade? We're going to get all the details coming today from Arlen Suderman. Arlen is with Stonex, so we're not going to waste any time, Arlen, in introductions. Limit up trade. Did you see it coming?
1: <laughs> I did not see it coming, but I was not surprised. Uh, these quarterly reports are known for their surprises that uh, give us limit trade, either up or down. Um, I, I was asked a day or two ago by uh, a former employer I talked to regularly, and He said, so what's your gut tell you about which way this report's going to go? And I said, you can ask me that about a WASD report, a monthly report. But these quarterly reports, there is no rhyme or reason or logic to which way the surprises are. And and so I I wouldn't even want to tell you. But there were a lot of surprises in USDA's acreage survey. Typically, these quarterly reports have their surprises in their corn stocks number this time it was in the acreage we knew acreage would be a bigger deal this year because of how tight stocks are going into this interesting to note uh, we did an online survey on twitter uh what is your confidence level in usda's ag surveys and uh Basically, 7% said they're the envy of the world. And and I'm going to state up front that I agree that's true. I've been a complainer about their surveys, but they're still the best in the world, if that tells you anything. Another 30% said well, they do an adequate job. And, and then we found that 38% said they do a substandard job, and 25% said they should stop doing the surveys. So... <clears throat> In that light, USDA's planning intention surveys came up with over a million more winter wheat acres since they did their December survey reported in January, and 700,000 of those acres were in Texas. Now, are you telling me that Texas planted 700,000 acres of wheat after the December survey? I doubt it. That raises some questions then on the corn and soybean acreage surveys which were done a few days either side of March 1st. Farmers at that point were telling us they were excited about these prices and they were going to plant fence row to fence row this year as much corn and soybeans as they could. We knew that there was some eight million plus acres of corn and soybeans that were in prevent plant last year. There was also another two and a half million acres that came out of uh c r p contracts, so we anticipated close to an eleven million acre increase, and that's what we built our expected increase in acreage to be is around eleven million instead, what did we increase in for principal crops about six million that left corn and soybeans two million short of trade expectations roughly for both corn and soybeans. The implications of that is. We're going to be in a rationing mode for the next 18 months for corn and soybeans if demand stays as currently projected, if we have a normal Safrina corn crop in Brazil, which is now at risk, and we can talk about that, and if we have a normal growing season in the United States and get a trend yield, and that is becoming less likely now based on some latest developments happening. So job of the marketplace going forward over the next sixty days is to try to encourage more acres and whether farmers plant more than they were going to and USDA failed to catch or not or whether USDA finally just does a better job of capturing those acres I do expect the June 30th acreage numbers to be much different than today's but for now this is what the trade is going to trade this is the acres that are going to be in USDA's May and June WASDE balance sheets, the first 21-22 marketing years. And so that's what we need to go with.
0: There seems to be a lot of what-ifs that we just uh, smashed into a couple moments. So let's rewind to the Safrina corn crop. What are we seeing more dry weather concerns uh, for them?
1: Yeah, we are. In fact, it's dry in much of uh, Brazil and Argentina right now. Now, Argentina just came through a wet period of a couple weeks of good rain, so we're not too concerned about that yet, although some damage was done before those rains came. I mean, they're already harvesting corn, so it's very low. double crop soybeans got rains. The original uh, first crop soybeans had some losses. Uh, When you look at uh, Brazil, they're dry, but it looks like some rains are going to be coming back as we get into uh, week two of the outlook in northern areas. But the southern half of the Safrina Corn Belt looks like it's going to continue dry, perhaps through the much of the month, much of the month of April. And if if we look at some of the dr- atmospheric driving patterns right now and what's anticipated, there is a significant risk that we will see an early end to the rainy season in Brazil and if that happens we could see a significant drop in safrinha corn production in Brazil that's primarily where their exportable corn comes from so in other words if customers can't get it from Brazil they'll come to the United States primarily other few other sources as well but that does tend to directly increase demand for U.S. corn. So that's a big risk now as we go into our growing season to try to plant the crop that we're going to be exporting in the next marketing year.
0: We're short on time before the break, but uh, real quick, a lot of pressure going to be put on this next USDA report after the one we saw today.
1: Yeah, this next report is going to incorporate some of the stocks numbers. Uh, which for corn and wheat were higher than expected. Excuse me, corn was lower, wheat and soybeans are a little bit higher. That'll get incorporated in, but the acreage numbers don't come in until May.
0: All right, stick around, folks. We've got a lot more coming up as we continue on this report day, looking at these numbers and how it's affected the trade with Arlen Sudamon. Part two is just around the corner. Stick around. It is the Fontenelle final bell right here on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littleville, continuing this conversation with Arlen Suderman with Stonex. So your um, article that you sent out via email talked about wheat followed corn and the soybeans. And wheat's got their own little thing going on. As we start to see this winter wheat come out of dormancy and a lot of questions as to where this crop's going to be.
1: Yeah, and it was interesting to see wheat prices take off following corn and soybeans today, even though it had a bearish stocks report and a bearish acreage report. So what's the deal? And it was really Chicago soft red winter and Kansas City hard red winter that led the way and then Minneapolis quickly followed. And it comes back again to this corn acreage number. Uh, With this corn acreage number being what it is and soybean acreage for that matter too, and those markets both locked the limit higher, what does that mean? It means if we actually get the smaller corn acreage and we have these higher prices trying to ration corn demand, that's going to pull a lot more wheat into the feed bunk. And so while the crop conditions are looking pretty good right now overall across the country for the winter wheat crop, the expectation being that we're going to have a larger crop than what was previously thought on higher acreage and on better condition ratings, I know a lot can change between now and harvest but I'm talking about today's market response so if you assume that a lot of that additional production is going to end up in the feed bunk because corn prices are going to be so high based on today's numbers relative to wheat that we anticipate right now those high wheat feeding rates and so wheat needed to kinda keep up with corn because that'll not just be happening here in the United States That'll be happening globally as global corn stocks tighten up.
0: So over to the livestock side, unless there's something else you wanted to hit on these reports of today.
1: Well, I think one other thing I'd like to call out, it was interesting to note this morning at Commodity Weather Group, which is one of the weather firms that we follow, came out with a headline um, that I'm going to tell you in a minute. Prior to that, I wanted to say I was on the conference call with another climatologist yesterday and we were talking about some of the similarities to 2012. He's pointing out some of the similarities, some of the differences. He said, I'm not going to say it, I'm not going to say 2012. Well, today, Commodity Weather Group came out with the headline story saying, yeah, I said it, 2012. There are some growing similarities to 2012. There are also some noted differences from 2012, so it's too early to say that we're going to have the type of growing season that we had in 2012, but the the correlations are starting to grow enough that we at least have to start paying attention to that, especially with these lower acreage numbers.
0: Good information. Livestock side, did they react like you thought they would after the limit up trade?
1: Yeah, the most notable, obviously, was in the feeder cattle market, which dropped off sharply. Ironically, they came back up to trade pre-report levels and then fell off right in the final minutes once again. Um, But obviously, high corn prices most impact feeder cattle prices. Lean hog futures were down when the report came out. And then they actually firmed as we went through the day, particularly those uh deferred contracts because it means we've got to have higher prices for hogs down the road for those feeding margins to hold up so that we don't curtail production too much because demand is so strong and in the end that was what helped bring live cattle futures back as well we've seen some cash cattle trade in the south at 116 not a lot to really test the market but the the sense is that we're going to have that stronger cash cattle trade this week product market is strong. Um, we're seeing that demand there, and so that means that we need to have enough strength in those to def- pay for this higher priced corn and higher priced wheat and that's what the markets ended up trading. even though feeder cattle were still down notably they were well off their lows.
0: Can the box beef continue with its strong trend that we've seen?
1: Well, the barbecue season will certainly help. Once we get past the barbecue season, then we'll. The other thing that's helping now is we're restocking the pipeline, so to speak. All those schools that really didn't have much in the way of supply, restaurants that were closed down or very limited open, that are restocking their supplies. Uh, all the different types of food services, the athletic venues, etc., that are going to be opening up. They're restocking. So once we get past that in barbecue season, I anticipate we'll see some weakness return.
0: And it was nice to see some midweek cash coming in. I know Nebraska had up to 118, so that hopefully will set the tone for the rest of the week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and let that cash market kind of catch up with the board once. We saw a little bit of weakness at the close on the board, but overall it's still trading at a premium to the cash.
0: All right, Arlen, what's the best way for folks to get a hold of you?
1: StoneX.com or over on Twitter. My handle is Arlen A R L A N F F one zero one.
0: And that is the Fontanel Final Bell for today. Just a reminder: commodity futures and options do involve substantial risk of loss, and they're not suitable for all investors. The Fontanel Final Bell is brought to you by Fontanel Hybrids and all your local Fontanel dealers. Check it out as a podcast at RuralRadioNetwork.com, wherever you subscribe, and it's on Spotify as well. That's the Fontanel Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.